The reading is from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20, and that can be found on page 1000 in the Church Bibles. So Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, page 1000. The Great Commission. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Thanks be to God. Hi, everybody. I think most of us know what it's like to wake up feeling demotivated. I'm sure there are a few ultramarathon runners and uh, life coaches who seem to have unlimited drive. Uh, but for the rest of us, we know what it's like to wake up with our eyelids and duvets feeling impossibly heavy uh, when we are supposed to be getting up. There are some days where we plod through doing, doing, doing without any clear sense of why. It's just routine, and um, no wonder there are so many young people that spend so many hours on video games. It's not because they're lazy, it's because those games offer them a sense of mission, a sense of um, purpose, achievement, reward that is often so elusive in real life. Today's message has hope for demotivated people like us. Our experience of church can often be like that as well. Um, when a youth leader can only see the list of tasks in front of them, it's very easy to become demotivated. There's teaching to prepare, there's rotors to fill, there's games to plan, and that's on top of all their other responsibilities from work life, from family life. Without a firm grip on a greater purpose, they will inevitably become tired, their group will become a chore, and they'll probably give up eventually. This morning, we've got a couple of opportunities to um, focus on what we do as a church. After this morning, we've already mentioned that there's going to be a ministry fair in the back hall, highlighting some of the many great ministries that we do as a church. And uh, we've already said as well, from June 11th through to the 25th, we've got our community outreach weeks, coffee, dinner, gospel. I've already heard um, many, many brilliant ideas of what people can do to share Jesus uh, with their friends, family, and neighbors. But it would be such a shame, wouldn't it, if in all the doing, we forget our why. If in all the doing, we lose a grip on our purpose. Companies, charities, and other organizations, they recognize this danger. Um, so they come up with a mission statement, a short sentence which reminds everyone involved of what they're doing and why they're doing it. Um, so let's play a little game. The game is guess the uh, mission statement. Um, I'll say the statement, and I'd like you to shout out names of uh, a well-known company that it might belong to. So here's the first one. To refresh the world, to inspire moments of optimism and happiness, to create value and make a difference. Any guesses who's refreshing the world? Just shout it out. McDonald's, McDonald's good guess. Good guess. Coca-Cola, very good. Well done. Next one. 
um, to organize the world's information, to make it universally accessible and usable. Google. Google, very good. And last one, to enrich people's lives with programs and services that inform, educate, and entertain. Netflix. Not Netflix. ITV, no? BBC. BBC, yes, correct. Well done. Now, wonderfully, our church doesn't need to come up with our mission statement from scratch because we've been given our mission by Jesus. We um, commonly call it the Great Commission. This is our purpose. This is our why. It's the reason to get up out of bed in the morning. It's uh, the uh, reason to give you drive in your ministry team. It's called the Great Commission because we're called to do something great. This is an aim to get excited about. And here's the mission. Make disciples. We'll put it up on the screen. Our mission is to make disciples. Now, as um, Matthew 28 was read, you'll have noticed that there were lots of commands that Jesus gave. So why am I focusing in on make disciples as the main one? Um, There's going, baptizing, and teaching, and we're going to come to those. But the main verb, the words in bold, if you like, are make disciples. Now, if this is our mission, I suppose it would be useful to know what a disciple is. If um, you're sitting at the potter's wheel trying to make a clay teapot, then you better have a pretty firm idea in your mind what a teapot is. What is a disciple? Um, We could say a lot from the rest of the Bible, but just from these verses in front of us, I think we see three characteristics. Characteristic number one, a disciple goes where Jesus tells them to go. Verse 16, you can look at it if you like, goes like this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. A disciple goes where Jesus tells them. It's quite a simple and obvious point, but that doesn't mean it's easy. Um, It doesn't come naturally to any of us. What does come naturally uh, to us is to go where we want to go. That's true of me. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's true of you as well. We proudly state, I am the captain of my soul, and we set sail in whatever direction our hearts desire. Um, unfortunately, that um, heart's desire uh, often and always eventually ends up going off course into the storm of God's judgment. But becoming a disciple means making Jesus the captain of your soul. He gets to set the course. We are called to make disciples who go where Jesus tells them to go. Uh, Characteristic number two, a disciple worships Jesus. Verse 17 continues, when they saw him, they worshipped him. And uh, if you were feeling particularly Christmassy this morning, you'd remember from the start of Matthew's gospel, strangers from far away asking King Herod, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. That was pretty surprising. Strangers from another nation coming to worship the baby Jesus. But if anything, the end of Matthew's gospel is even more surprising. Because you see, these Jewish disciples had been raised from the crib to know that there is only one God. Only one person who you can worship. So as they fall down on this grassy hillside of Galilee, 
they are declaring that the man in front of them is God himself. You can't be a disciple unless you recognize Jesus for who he says he is, for who he is. But worship is about more than just saying, yes, Jesus is God. It's about adoration. It's about glory falling down at Jesus' feet. A disciple recognizes who Jesus is and what he's done, and our hearts are drawn like a magnet to awe and wonder. Now, this won't be our constant experience until we reach heaven, but as we listen to the Bible, read and preached, as we sing God's praise, as we live in obedience through the week, a disciple cannot help but worship. We are called to make disciples who worship Jesus. And characteristic number three of the disciples that we're making, a disciple experiences Jesus' grace. I wonder if you noticed anything strange about verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Really? After everything they have seen, some of them are still not quite sure. That would be ridiculous, and as rubbish as the disciples often are, that isn't actually quite it. They're not doubting that Jesus is who he says he is. Rather, they are hesitating, doubting about how he's going to respond to them. Remember, they abandoned him when he needed them most. They ran away, leaving Jesus to face arrest, trial, suffering, and death alone. They're doubting because they're not sure how Jesus is going to respond to them. Has he arranged this meeting in Galilee to abandon them in return and to call down judgment upon them for their sin? No. There they stand, some worshipping, Others holding back in expectation of coming judgment. But verse 18, Jesus comes to them. Jesus comes to them. Isn't that the experience of every disciple? We've all turned our backs on Jesus, and yet he still comes to us. When we were still in our sin, Jesus came in love and grace, taking the initiative to put us back together dying on a cross to reconcile us to God, all debts paid, all sins forgiven, reconciled together without any trace of awkwardness, as if our rejection had never happened. What is a disciple? A disciple goes where Jesus tells them. A disciple worships Jesus. A disciple experiences Jesus' grace. And Jesus gives us, the mission of playing our part in making disciples like this. Our job isn't about recruiting members to a club. Our purpose isn't just making people just that little bit more religious. The discipleship we are calling people to is focused on a person. We're called to make disciples who go where Jesus says to go. People who worship Jesus. People who experience Jesus' grace. In a minute, we're going to see that Jesus gives us three steps to uh, accomplish this mission of making disciples. Three steps that we summarize as go, win, grow. But before those three, there is another step. 
We might call it step zero. Before you make disciples, you yourself must be a disciple. On Jesus' mission, your first convert must be yourself. Do you go where Jesus tells you? Or are you still the captain of your own soul? Do you worship Jesus? Or is he just the main character in a book you like? Have you experienced his undeserved grace? Or are you still trying to work yourself into God's good works? If you've just recognized that you're not a disciple yet, I'd urge you to do something about that right now. You can ask God to change you. You can pray that Jesus would be the captain of your soul. You can pray that God would put worship in your heart. You can pray that Jesus would show you grace right here, right now. Jesus' mission is for us to make disciples. That's the the big picture. But he also gives us three steps to do it. We summarize it as go, win, grow. Let's see the first one. We'll put it up on the screen. Step number one, go. Verse 18, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. By saying go, Jesus is telling his disciples to keep doing what he has been doing for the past three years. Have you noticed there aren't actually that many chapters in the Bible where Jesus is sitting at home in his living room waiting for someone to knock at the door? No, Jesus was always going. That might be traveling from village to village around Galilee, uh, going, to, um, going out of his way to unlikely people in unlikely places. Just think of the, the shunned woman uh, at the well in Samaria. In every other chapter, Jesus seems to be gathering at uh, parties and meals to be with people. Yes, he took time to rest. We all need that. But Jesus loved to go towards people. So when Jesus tells his disciples, go, it's the same mission that he's been doing all along. Except now the scale is massive. His disciples are to go global to all nations. Why? Because Jesus is Lord over all nations. I'm going to give credit to Kev for uh, this illustration If um, Rishi Sunak commanded Spain to pay us taxes, that wouldn't go down so well, would it? That's um, outside of his authority. And sometimes we think of evangelism like asking Spanish people for taxes. But that's wrong, because there is no one who is outside of Jesus' authority. Jesus is Lord over all. Whatever country you go to, whether it's a Christian one or not, Jesus is Lord there. I've been to Christian homes which have that um, plaque above their doorframe. Jesus is the head of this house. And that's good. I know what they're saying. It's just that Jesus is Lord of every other house on that street as well. We go everywhere and to everyone because Jesus is Lord over everywhere and everyone. How can we go? How can we accomplish step one of the mission? Um, Two suggestions. First, we go global. Um, At our ministry fair afterwards, I'd encourage you to check out the mission table at the back there. Um, You can find out about the missionaries we support in different parts of the world. 
And yes, they are going to the nations in a very visible way, but they don't go alone. When we pray for them, when we get in touch to encourage them, when we give finances to the mission fund, we are going with them in partnership. Let's be a church that that prays, encourages, and gives so that it's not just Rick and Alana going to Nigeria. It's not just Asher going to Uganda. It's not just the Millers going to Spain. It's all of us. And maybe God will call some of you to go literally in person as well. We go global, and secondly, we go next door. Every nation, I think that includes the UK, doesn't it? If you were a missionary in a foreign country, what would your first move be to start um, talking to people about Jesus? What would be the first thing you do when you get there? Well, you'd probably want to learn the language and try to get to know the culture. You wouldn't continue eating McDonald's burgers. Um, You'd get to know the local cuisine and eat with local people. You'd listen to their music and ask questions about what, um, what matters to you, what's significant in the life of this place. You'd invite people around to your place and build genuine friendships. Isn't that what Jesus did? And if that's true, if we were to be missionaries in any other country, why would that be different on mission here? You can go by taking part in our community outreach, coffee, dinner, gospel. You can go by joining our media team, our midweek children's teams, or another of our teams, Mark Go. Um, Going is scary. Going is scary. It's far more comfortable to be a Christian within these walls. But going out there on mission, as soon as you leave those doors, that's purpose. That's greatness. And you can do that every single day. Step one in making disciples is go. Be out there in people's lives. But Jesus' mission goes further than just doing life with people. Step two is win. We'll put it up there. The second half of verse 19 gives us that next step. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' mission is to make disciples by going and by baptizing. But you'll notice that our mission statement isn't go, baptize, grow. Why not? That's not because we think baptism is insignificant. Quite the opposite. Um, While baptism isn't the way you become a Christian, God commands it as something that Christians must do. Yet I do know that there is a surprising number of um, professing Christians who haven't got round to being baptized um, for a number of small reasons. I'd just ask you, what is your relationship with Jesus really like if you refuse to do what he says? I'll just leave that as a question for you. Baptism matters. Our mission statement isn't go, baptize, grow, exactly because baptism is significant. That is significant because it is a sign. That's part of the word. On the last couple of baptisms, I've described to the kids what baptism is all about. I've described it with three Bs. Baptism is like a bath because we have been washed clean of our sins. Baptism is like a burial because our old sinful life is dead now. 
baptism is like a, uh, a birthday because there's cake. No, sorry, that's not right. Uh, because the, we've uh, got new life. But I could add another B. Baptism is a sign of belonging. When a footballer joins a new team, there's often an initiation ritual. And in many clubs, the new player must stand up and sing a song in front of everybody. It's very embarrassing. But by the end of it, everyone knows that you're one of the team. You're one of the boys. Um, You are very much in. After you've been baptised... The church recognizes that you're, you're part of the team. It's an initiation into community. But instead of wearing the badge or the, the name of our football team on our chests, instead we wear the one name of the Trinity God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We belong to his team now. That's what baptism is a sign of. And while only a few of us will ever um, walk down these steps under here into the baptistry to baptize people, all of us can be involved in what it represents, winning people onto God's team, walking alongside people until that point of personal repentance, trust and commitment. Does winning people sound a little bit over-controlling? sound a little bit manipulative? I'm sure it could be if we try to coerce unwilling people or force feed the gospel to people. But consider how winning Jesus was while on earth. He was persuasive. Uh, He talked about the inevitable consequences of rejecting his message, heaven or hell. But he also let people make their own choices. He let the young, young ruler walk away, choosing riches over following him. No psychological pressure, no deception, but the persuasive, clear offer of good news. Jesus was winning. Step two of Jesus' mission is win. So let's be winning people. Winning people who win people. I promise you there are fewer, there are few greater joys in life than praying next to someone as they give their life to the Lord Jesus. Um, there was one year, uh, I wrote down three names on a post-it note to remind me to, to pray for them, that they would become Christians. And at the end of the year, those three and two others gave their life to Christ. And I had the joy of, of being next to some of them for that moment. And it, it was just thrilling. I don't know that you'll have that experience if you write down someone's name on a post-it note. But I am certain that you won't have that experience if you don't pray. Certain. Why not write down one or two names on a post-it and pray? That might be uh, a family member or a friend. They might be people in your youth or children's group. Why not commit to pray every week for that one person until uh, the end of the summer term? See what God does. Who knows what would happen if all of us commit to pray and speak the gospel to one person this year. Step two, win. Step three, grow. uh, grow. 
Jesus' mission is for us to make disciples, going, winning, and then verse 20, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Making disciples is not a one-time event. It's an ongoing process of, of nurturing believers to maturity in their faith. It's teaching people to obey Jesus' commands. What did step three look like for Christ? By the way, it's, it's no accident that we've seen Jesus as the model missionary in each of these steps. Um, he deliberately has this conversation in Galilee, the very place where his mission started. Um, he wants to subtly communicate to his disciples that their mission and his mission, they are in fact one and the same. He's telling them to do what he's been doing all along. How did Jesus grow these disciples to the point where they were ready to carry on the mission? He taught them. This meant preaching sermons. Uh, when he preached his famous Sermon on the Mount, there were huge crowds listening in, but he was making eye contact with these 11 disciples. That must have been just astonishing to hear. There's um, a story told by, I forget which one, but one of the actors who played the role of Jesus um, filming the Sermon on the Mount. They were on a Galilean mountainside as the sun was just beginning to dip towards the horizon. A golden glow bathed the thousands of extras and all the, the crew gathered there. As the actor spoke the words of Matthew chapters 5 through 7, committed to memory, um, his voice echoed around the surrounding hills. And the actor came to the end of um, the sermon and asked, shall I do it again? The director replied, I think we need to leave it a while. Such was the beauty and majesty of Jesus' words. The whole crowd, camera crew, actors, extras, were all in floods of tears. It must have been amazing to hear a sermon of Jesus. But Jesus didn't only teach his disciples through sermons. A lot of his teaching was just walking together along the road. He didn't get them to sign up to a three-week crash course. He lived with them for three years. They ate together. They learned from him in the normal routines of life, sermons, and long walks. Our discipling of others should be a combination of each of those things. To grow ourselves and to grow others requires both of them. We need sermons and long walks. We need Bible studies and socials at the coffee shop or the pub. In all of those settings, those around us will grow as we speak and model obedience to Christ. I hope you've um, got a little bit more room on your post-it note. As well as one person to win, pray for one person to grow. I will forever be grateful to those people involved that God used to grow me. The man who would occasionally ask me, how are things with you and the Lord, Andrew? The, uh, the older couple who would invite a group of us round after the evening service to talk, eat, sing and pray. The Sunday school teacher who modelled joyful worship, even in her frailty when she couldn't physically sing. I'm sure you can think of specific individuals that God used to grow you. Now it's your turn.
Who are you going to grow? Jesus' mission is to make disciples. Step one, go. Step two, win. Step three, grow. This is the purpose to our lives now. This is the great calling which we wake up with as Christians every morning. This is what we're all going to do when we leave the service this morning. As you explore the ministry fair, be encouraged by the many, many ways that our church is, uh, is accomplishing this mission. And think about how you can obey Jesus' command to go, win, and grow to make disciples. By the way, just in case this seems like mission impossible, be comforted by Jesus' closing words here. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We want to know Jesus' presence, don't we? So let's go on mission. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we bow down in worship before you. You have all authority in heaven and on earth. You are king over everywhere and everyone. So please help us to make disciples of you. You have promised, Lord Jesus, to be with us to the very end of the age. May that comfort strengthen us to go boldly. Father, we pray that you would help us all to be on mission, to be making disciples. And if there is someone here this morning that's realized they're not a disciple yet, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would give them new life right here, right now. We pray that they would experience Jesus' grace. Amen.